Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 968. Today I want us to consider a verse from God's Word that summarizes what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is the good news that we celebrate at Christmas time and indeed can celebrate all year round. Here in 2 Corinthians 8, which is actually a chapter about believers giving to the Lord's work and giving to others who are in need. But here in that context, Jesus Christ is pointed to as the ultimate example of giving. And that's what this verse is about. So look with me at verse 9, which will be our text this morning. Here God's word says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Amen. The Apostle Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the way Christ's life and work is described here by that beautiful word, grace. Right? You see that at the beginning of the verse? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's saving favor toward those who deserve God's punishment. And then the rest of the verse then, verse 9 goes on to describe that grace. It describes what Christ has done for us. It describes Christ's saving work for us, which was grace to us, meaning we did not deserve it. Right? We don't deserve to be saved. We could never earn our salvation. It is a gift freely given to us by God. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Christ's Poverty brings eternal riches. Christ's poverty brings eternal riches. As we study verse 9 this morning, I want to point out four truths that we can glean from this verse. And they're, they're very simple. They come straight from the, the text. Verse 1, or excuse me, point 1, Christ was supremely rich. Christ was supremely Rich. That's what the verse starts with. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Christ was rich. In fact, no one was richer. And we, we need to understand, the Bible here is not talking about financial riches. Although, to be sure, as creator, Christ is rich in that as well. Right? Because as creator and sustainer, Christ owns everything. Colossians 1.16 says of Christ that all things were made through him and for him. So like we sing sometimes, every inch of this universe belongs to you, O Christ. So yes, Christ is rich in that way as well. But 2 Corinthians 8.9 is not focusing on financial riches, but rather the glory of who Jesus is. It's talking about his deity. It's talking about his exalted position as the eternal son of God. Christ was rich. Of course, the Bible teaches us that God, 
that God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Christ as the second person, as the eternal Son of God, he was rich in power and in honor and glory and majesty. Think with me, what what was Jesus' life like before he came to earth to be born of a virgin? Well, in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah is given a glimpse of God on his throne. And later in the New Testament, in John 12, 41, the Bible tells us that what Isaiah saw in that vision was actually Christ on his throne. The pre-incarnate Christ reigning in glory. So there's our picture of what Jesus' life was like before he came to be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 6. Listen to God's word, Isaiah 6.1. This is what Jesus' life was like. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Jesus was supremely rich. He was rich in glory and in power and in honor and majesty. He received unending praise around his throne. His majesty was so grand that it filled and overflowed the throne room of heaven. His glory was so great that the angelic beings had to cover their eyes. So Jesus lived in absolute glory before he came to earth. And if you remember On the night before he was to be crucified, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said in John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus lived in supreme glory. Again, think with me. What what was life like for Jesus before he came on that Christmas morn? Or before that, right? In his mother's womb. Jesus lived in heaven. (laughs) What's heaven like? Well, Jesus lived in a place of beauty, a place of glory, a place of peace. There in heaven, there was no sin, there was no pain, there was no sadness, there was no conflict, there was no evil. And that was where Jesus lived. That's what he was experiencing He enjoyed perfect, unhindered fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He was, again, experiencing no pain. He he was dealing with no weakness. He had no longings. He had no temptations. He had no suffering of any kind there in heaven. Jesus, as we saw, he was receiving unending praise around his throne. So his life was one of of perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect love and fellowship, perfect glory and majesty. Christ was supremely rich and deservedly so. Yet, this is point number two, Christ voluntarily became poor. Christ voluntarily became poor. Again, Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Again, this verse is not talking primarily about material poverty, though Jesus was born to a poor family and throughout his ministry he had very little. Again, 2 Corinthians 8 9 speaks of Christ's, we could call it his spiritual poverty, and it's speaking of his incarnation, his, his self humiliation in coming to this world. Christ became poor by laying aside the riches of his glory. Now again, the Bible's clear. Christ did not give up his deity. He did not cease being God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, speaking of Christ, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Christ didn't cease to be God, but he took upon himself a human nature. So when we think about the incarnation, it's not something being substituted from Christ. It's something being added to Christ. That's what Philippians 2 makes very clear. Christ did not give up his glory, but by taking on a human nature, his glory was veiled most of the time. He laid aside the independent exercise of all of his attributes. He entered into this world through the virgin's womb and came in the form of a bondservant. He took on humanity, yet remained God the entire time he was here. But in doing that, he became poor. Again, we heard it in our scripture reading, Philippians 2.6, speaking of Christ. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not use it as his own advantage He chose not to exercise all the prerogatives that were rightly his, that remained his as the Son of God. He didn't exercise those. He lived as a man. Remember when he was on the cross, or or, uh, he says, Do you not think I could be called, or I could call down legions of angels? I guess that was right when he was getting arrested, right? So he had these rights, but he chose not to use them. Because he was accomplishing his father's will. Out of love for us. So again, Christ never ceased being God. But he took upon himself the weaknesses, the limitations of humanity. The son of God became a man. Think about that. The king of the universe became a helpless babe. He took upon himself all the limitations of human nature except sin. The New Testament describes his humanity, right? As it, it details his life. Matthew 4, 2 says he was hungry. John 4, 7 says he was thirsty. The verse right before that says he was weary. In John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. He lived his life as a man. He grew and developed as a man. He learned how to do things. He learned the word of God. He obeyed his parents. He worked hard. And think of what a change that was for him. Leaving glory and no weakness, no limitations, and coming now and taking on a human nature and being dependent on, at least for the first few years of his life, right, being dependent upon others for his care. 
And again, we talked about what he, uh, the, the uh, situation he lived in earlier. He left that and now he's living in this fallen world to where now Jesus himself is experiencing what it's like to, to get sick, to be mistreated. Now he's witnessing family members and friends getting ill and dying. Now he's experiencing the weaknesses of humanity. He became poor. Now for the first time, Jesus experienced the temptations to sin. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That was something he subjected himself to willingly. Being tempted to be selfish when, when he knew service was called for. Being tempted to return evil for evil when someone had mistreated him. Jesus entered into our struggle. He knew what it, that the temptation that exists to doubt God's plan. The temptation to walk by sight instead of faith. The temptation to, to try to uh, look out for yourself rather than meeting the needs of others. Again, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. In, in fact, Jesus was tempted in ways you and I are not. Because of the uniqueness of, of his person and of his, of his plan, of his mission, Jesus experienced temptations that we never will. Satan tempted Jesus to bypass the cross, to, to disobey the Father's plan, to abandon this, this mission of salvation. And this was, I, the reason I talk about those temptations is this was all part of the poverty that Christ experienced. In heaven, Jesus was in a place of no chaos, no weakness, no temptation, no limitations. But Jesus left all that in order to enter into our struggle to be that perfect substitute, right? To live that perfect life, earning our righteousness. He became poor. And of course, when we talk about his poverty... Where we ultimately have to go is not just the fact that he became a man, not just the fact that he endured the struggles and things of, of living in this fallen world, but we, the fact that he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. That was the ultimate poverty for Christ. Think of the poverty of, of Christ's suffering and death. What, what happened in his, in his arrest and his trials and in his crucifixion? Jesus was mocked, he was beaten, he was stripped of his clothes. He was left to suffer on the cross in shame. In humility, Jesus became the poorest man on earth. He became sin, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the sinless son of God, became the most wicked sinner ever. He himself was sinless, but on the cross he was bearing all the sins of his people for all time. That's poverty. And we know that God is holy and that he must punish sin. So as Jesus bore that sin on the cross, God the Father poured out his holy wrath on his son. 
And as Jesus then hung on the cross, remember what happened? The last three hours, the sky turned pitch black, even though it was the middle of the day. And for those three excruciating hours in total darkness, Jesus experienced the full fury of God's wrath. Jesus was rejected and forsaken by his Father, becoming a curse for us as he bore our sins and punishment on the cross. That's the ultimate poverty. Remember, he had, as the eternal Son of God, he had always experienced intimate, unhindered fellowship with his Father, but there on the cross he was being actually rejected by his Father and treated as the worst sinner who ever lived. And that's why he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken by the Father. Isaiah 53, 4 says he was smitten by God. Galatians 3.13 says he was cursed by God. So again, think of the, the, the change, right? Christ, though he was rich, became poor. Jesus, the King of glory, the eternal Son of God, died on the cross as a public display of the rejection of God. No one ever started out so rich and yet became so poor. Jesus, the Son of God, went from incalculable riches and glory to being the, per- the poorest person who has ever lived. And remember, Jesus did this voluntarily. He said in John 10, 18, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Christ voluntarily became poor. Right? When we think about someone going from riches to, to poverty, usually it's because, oh, well, you know, the market crashed, right? You know, or, or, or the economy took a downturn. Or maybe they committed some kind of scandal and now they're, you know, now they're being brought to justice and, and so now they're, they're poor and... But that wasn't the case with Christ. He voluntarily became poor. He willingly set aside the riches of his glory to become a man and suffer on the cross. Why? Why would he do this? Why would he choose to suffer such humiliation and hate? Why would he subject himself to physical, emotional, and spiritual torture? Well, the Bible tells us that the ultimate reason is for the glory of God. But connected with that is his love for us and in grace for us. He did it for, because of our great need, which leads us to truth number three. Without Christ, you are spiritually bankrupt. We're we're talking in these terms of rich and poor. Christ was supremely rich. Christ voluntarily became poor. But the Bible says without Christ, you and I are poor spiritually. Matter of fact, we're bankrupt. And I believe that's implied in this verse. Let me read verse 9 for you again, our text today. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
This verse implies what the Bible teaches elsewhere explicitly, that without Christ, you and I are spiritually bankrupt. And you say, well, what does that mean, right? Well, it's, it's, it's meaning you have nothing to offer to God. It's recognizing that, that God is holy, he's our almighty creator, that he demands perfect obedience that he demands absolute holiness in order to be in his presence. But the Bible says that we're all sinners by deed and by nature, and so we all fall dreadfully short of God's standard. And the Bible describes that oftentimes as as a debt, that our sin is a debt that we could never repay. Because of our sin, the Bible says we all deserve God's judgment. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing we can do to pay that sin debt off ourselves. I read earlier Isaiah's vision. If you, if you kept reading in that passage, you see what, what happened to Isaiah when he encountered a glimpse of who God is or who the pre-incarnate Christ is. He said, woe to me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah actually pronounced judgment on himself there, because he saw the absolute brilliance and glory of God, and he saw his absolute bankruptcy before God. There's no way I can be in this God's presence, because I know I'm a sinner. And the Bible says one day we'll all encounter God in his awesome holiness and his sovereign authority. We'll all stand before him and be called to account. And if we are without Christ on that day, we will face the eternal judgment of God. So that's why I say without Christ, you are spiritually bankrupt. But Jesus said, In Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, the Bible says, yes, we're all spiritually bankrupt. But Jesus is saying, blessed are you who by God's grace recognize your bankruptcy and own your bankruptcy and cry out to God for mercy. You're like, you're like the, the fair or the, the uh, tax collector in, um, in, in the parable there in Luke where you're just saying, you're, you're beating your breast and you can't look up to heaven and you're saying, God have mercy on me, the sinner. That's someone who recognizes their spiritual bankruptcy and they cry out to God for salvation, for mercy through Jesus Christ. Jesus says you are blessed. Because if you do that, if you repent of your sins and cry out in faith, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You'll be saved. You'll be united to Christ. You'll you'll, you'll become a co-heir of Christ. You'll be given entrance into the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom of God. And that's our fourth and final point then. With Christ, you are eternally rich. Without Christ, you're spiritually bankrupt. But this verse reminds us, with Christ... You are eternally rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that though he was rich, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich, the verse says. You see, Christ's poverty accomplished something gracious and glorious. It says, by his poverty, we become rich. By, that, by his saving work, by, that, by his life, his death, and resurrection, by his suffering in our place, we can become rich. Again, not materially rich, but rich in spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So now, loved ones, because of Christ's poverty, our sins are cleansed and we're credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, because of Christ's poverty, we are reconciled to God. We have peace with God. Because Christ accomplished his mission, and he was made poor, but because he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, God has highly exalted him. His payment for our sins was accepted. Christ is no longer dead and in the grave, but he is alive. And because of that, we know that all who place their faith in him are saved from their sins and united with Christ. Reconciled to God, peace with God, forgiven and you know that you'll be with God forever. That's, that's rich. Those are rich blessings. What, what price tag would you put on forgiveness of sins? Right, think about the most expensive gift you've ever been given, right? I mean, and you crack up at these commercials, right, where, you know, they, they give someone this like $50,000 vehicle, you know, with a bow. I'm like, what, what family is that? You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that pales, that pales, right, in comparison. What price tag can you put on forgiveness of sins? How much is, is, is peace with God worth and therefore peace of soul worth? What value could you place on eternal life in the glorious presence of God? Remember, we saw this a lot through our study in Joshua. Our inheritance is God. What price tag do you put on on that? On God. (laughs) We are rich. In Christ, we are rich. We, We have many blessings now. We enjoy down payments of those riches now but with promise of of full and future payment to come the promise of bodily resurrection of living with with Jesus forever in the new heavens and the new earth we are rich indeed loved ones Christ has shared his riches with us the whole universe is his and he shares his inheritance with us so sometimes I know we, we probably don't feel very rich, right? We lose sight of that because we still live in this fallen world. And, and we're dealing with the pain and the trials and the sin and the temptations and the failings. And so we, we may lose sight of and forget how rich we truly are. But in Christ you are rich because of God's grace. We become rich, right? That's what the verse says. 
that you by his poverty might become rich. We were poor, but we can become rich. We were beggars, but as that song says, now we're seated at his table. Jesus, thank you. We were enemies, but now we're beloved children of God. We were bankrupt, but now we are co-heirs with Christ. Remember Ephesians 2 says, we were far from God. We were cut off from him, separated from him. But now we're the temple of God. Now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That is rich. And again, this just shows us how wonderful and merciful our Savior is. How beautiful is the grace of God. Paul says, remember he's speaking to believers today. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. You know that the truths of the gospel and you have experienced the down payment of that. You know it. Believers know it by God's grace. They've been saved. But I wonder if there's any here today who don't know that grace. Who don't know the grace of God yet. Who've not experienced the grace of God. If there's any here today who are still in the poverty of their sin. That you're still separated from God. And if you stand before God, you, you may try to offer, well, you know, I tried to be a good person, you know. And I, I tried to, you know, I tried to be kind or, you know, I even went to church some or that's not going to scratch the, the dent of your debt. Kind of mixed my metaphors there probably, but that's not going to begin to pay your debt. Don't stand before God bankrupt. Because of God's grace, sinners can be reconciled to God through faith in him. You can have the riches of Christ. I pray that God will open everyone's eyes to that truth today. And for believers, again, I pray that you'll be reminded of how rich you are. How rich you are because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your glorious grace. We thank you for this, this verse that just summarizes and describes that grace in such a beautiful way of the life and work of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly leaving the glories of heaven to become a man, to take on humanity, to enter into this fallen world to rescue us. We praise you that you were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that you are exalted now. We praise you that you are con- from your heavenly throne now, you're continuing to seek and save the lost by your spirit as your word goes forth. May you do that today, Lord. If there's any here today who are without Christ, may you show them their poverty of, of soul, of spirit. And may you point them to 
to yourself, to, to Christ. And encourage your people today, Father. Remind us of how rich we are in Jesus. We continue to pray for the Gilms, Lord. May you comfort them and come alongside them. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing a final song.